I've told two stories often from my own life, both having to do with virtue, the application of life into virtuous embodiment, experienced by me in different times of my youth. I'll begin with one from my early adolescence when newly moved from tiny areas of the Finger Lakes in western New York State of the United States of America. My family moved for my father to have several very beautiful, prestigious positions in a city, for the state, for the region, working in one organization and then out into statewide activities and national government activities and into international domains where he became one of the five founders of the International Baccalaureate degree for the United States. And that movement from a tiny area into the large metropolitan area of New York City and the boroughs surrounding and up into Connecticut and out into Long Island and west into New York State and down into New Jersey and Pennsylvania was an astonishing urbanization for me at the age of 14. I've said this several times. I moved into this beautiful home, which my parents had had gone and found and purchased, sold our old home, and had moved all of the furniture in, and then came and brought all of us four children. And my older brother was already had commenced college. And so he, he came with us, but was uh, there just visiting and then going back up to his college studies. So we moved into the home, and the very next morning, at about 6 o'clock in the morning, time near dawn in our, our latitude, this monumental sound occurred, and I bolted up in the beautiful pine bed, antique bed my father's parents had given me when I left my crib as a baby. So I'm in this beautiful bed, which I adored. And I sat upright and thought, the house is falling down. I thought a grand piano had fallen down from the second floor, but of course we didn't own a grand piano. I didn't know what it was. And it was a jet. <clears throat> there were springtime winds coming across from west to east, which they do all across the American continent. And so jets were coming in in an unusual direction for our home. So maybe four times a year for about one to three days, jets will come in to be careful into Newark Airport across Newark Bay behind the Statue of Liberty. And that's how I awakened upon my first morning. Having driven in the night before, I thought, how will I ever find my way out of these lights? It was just so populous. There was so much around me of the lives created by the human beings. Part of those lives are ceremony. People had prayed and aspired and strived very deeply to embody capacities upon the earth that were all around us physically. There were the lives themselves and there was the debris, the remnants discarded and argued over. And I thought, how will I ever find my way? So <clears throat> a teacher within that year, James McNally, whom I adored, who was not my teacher, he would note me in the hallway and ask me how I was doing among the almost 4,000 students of the high school. And one day he said to me famously, you're not smiling anymore, are you all right? 
And I said, I'm fine. He goes, well, when you come walking down the hall, I just note your face is quite solemn. I told him I was just thinking about things. I actually was quite fine. It was a period of a kind of interior meaning and solitude that was quite beautiful, actually. And he said, I have some books for you. <clears throat> I'll bring them tomorrow. And I thought he would bring self-help books for, you know, a 14-year-old. But he brought me three very beautiful books, which were quite profound. Martin Buber's I and Thou was one of them which continues to affect me every day of my life. And another book was The Teachings of Don Juan Matus, written by the anthropologist Carlos Castaneda, and was being studied in a course for a doctorate that, that Mr. McNally was taking at the New School in Manhattan in New York City. And I thought, what an unusual book. It was just interesting. It was about a medicine man from the Yaqui tribe of the Sonoran Desert in northern Mexico and the southwestern United States, whom Castaneda met and studied with for several years, observing him and as an anthropologist, but also studying with him as kind of a student of that body of work, work between heaven and earth, <clears throat> magical work, the work of the translation point that was Castaneda's world. So I found it a book of debris. It was filled with the suffering of Castaneda, for whom I had immense compassion. I, I never met him while he was alive. But at 14, I simply was aware that he did not understand heaven and did not understand earth and was studying with masters of the translation point between heaven and earth. Don Juan Matus and Don Janeiro, his close friend and colleague. And so the book is... Castaneda's interpretation of the two men, I would have found Don Juan, Don Juan and Don Genero to be men of God. And if they were alive and I went to meet them, I would have to say to Blaine, we need to bring them something sacred in their lives, a plant. Here in the United States, it might be tobacco or the three sisters, corn, squash, and beans. If I were meeting a woman Native American elder, tobacco, or sage, or a medicine blanket, or a beautiful box of fruit, coffee, to come and sit with a medicine man and his family. A way of meeting so that in our prayers and through the cells of our bodies, our next breath is both shared and independent of one another. We are translating beyond all argument the fruits that heaven has brought us, recognizing them, offering them, and being accepted so that we are receiving together a relationship of God in the medicine man or woman and God in oneself as the youth presented to that being. It's a very beautiful gesture of the bridge of living prayer. It's universal in its principle, its purpose, and the nature of its virtue. So I kept looking for that translation point embodied in Castaneda, and I never found it in him. It doesn't mean it doesn't exist, but <clears throat> I would have to look through his books again and see if I was able to locate a place where he's not suffering in his striving for understanding this principle, which I'm just discussing. But what I did find, which I've commented about many times, is the very beginning of the book, where Castaneda notes that Upon meeting Don Juan, 
Don Juan says to him that if a man has his impeccability, he has everything. If he doesn't have his impeccability, he has nothing. And I was aware that this is true. If a man, a woman, a person, a child, an infant, an elder, has his or her or their impeccability, the autonomy of their integral virtue, they have everything. They are of everything. They are also calling you to be of everything. And then no matter what they undergo in life, no one can take that from them. It's not possible. Why would you trade this for anything, anywhere, ever? And so I was so touched by that quote written at the very beginning of the book, sitting in my bed from my grandparents, my father's parents, my beautiful pine bed in the bedroom next to my parents' room. I sat in bed reading the book late at night and was aware that that quote was so significant, I contemplated, I'm going to practice being with this quote until I find a place where it's not true. So we are coming on to five and a half decades after my reading that, and it is true. I've never found a moment in the way in which eternity weaves right now through my human life where this is not true. So we might say that my life is in ceremony to heaven, to God and all his names, all her names, all that great one's names and ways. And when you speak of God or represent God, or you speak of the universe or the cosmos and represent that, that which cannot be named because you are aware of honoring it as deeply holy, or that which cannot be named because you're inflamed by the name of God being misused, so you're present with the idea of a flow of grace. Whatever the nature of how you are before this principle, I am receiving it as best I can so that the names of God we are embodying are really allowing the vessels of our two incarnations to simply receive the grace until in the next breath, eternity moves, heaven through earth, including our bodies upon the earth, and we know as the translation point, the love that is what we are to be and do. And then we are in awe. We are dwelling in home everywhere always. We're embodying a principle of representing the Holy of Holies, and yet it is just our human beingness. We are learning the present moment into the next moment. We are attenuated, attuned in our senses. The past is engaging us to be careful that there may be a poisonous creature from snake to insect to person. 
so that we are to be discerning based on our ancestry and experience, yet not closed down. The vessel is to be receiving grace, receiving life, receiving the next breath, into the next breath and the next, and allowing a spaciousness of heaven to earth that you might also receive grace into the present breath and the next breath and the present breath to the next breath. This quality that I'm calling ceremonial is embodied in different languages all across the world in all of the tribes the human race has ever comprised. Our attention in that gesture is heavenward, whether we reach to the sky, out over the ocean, across the lands, into the depths of the earth, toward our ancestors for guidance, toward the future, toward our innermost hearts and souls. And so I would like us to contemplate a way that you might allow ceremony in your daily life, in your seasonal life, so that you create a capacity in yourself of embodied existence that is ceremonial in its behavior. You then begin to engage a manner of going forward that allows you a sense of being a child of God, always seeking that place spoken of so eloquently by Castaneda's teacher, Don Juan, whom I've been aware of since I first saw his name. We never met in my current body and his past incarnation as Don Juan Matus, but I have been aware of him like a, like a favorite uncle or godfather whose virtue in his own seeking never betrayed mine. May my virtue in seeking never betray him. May that quality shared in Don Juan and myself so gratefully brought to me through James McNally in the writings of Carlos Castaneda and his publishers and editors and his professors. He was working on a doctorate in Los Angeles area at a university. May all those people be recognized as people who've made what we're talking about today possible. Then what happens is that rather than arguing ceremony, one person's better than another, one religion better than another, this one wrong, that one right. Let's kill each other over crosses and menorahs and Torahs and daughters and sons and fathers and mothers and transgender people in this race and that race. We step away from the debris and we aspire in the present toward a ceremonial future yet to be born, yet being born every moment every moment, everywhere. When one practices from this place, everything in the universe is supported by you being of heaven. That direction is stronger 
than any debris that has ever been. It is the one direction where that which is all-powerful, that which is all-merciful, that which is always and everywhere, is being recognized, remembered, honored, represented. And yet, it is of you. It is the one moral responsibility, directionally, of your path, your soul, your heart, your body, your life. I recommend that you have the courage to live from this direction because the divine will answer you every moment, everywhere, from this direction. And when one's attention is on that three-in-one, heaven and earth, and here, translated between, one is in the path that is always the path. One is always in the breath that is the present moment from the past into eternity. One is then weaving the thread on the loom of the Lord, which is beyond anything we can name, yet we try to name it respectfully, to give ourselves ways to pray, ways to create a vase, a, a pattern for um, a priest's garb, a baby's robe in which to be blessed at birth and named. These gestures of creating instruments and implements for prayer and ceremony are part of how we've tried to give language between heaven and earth. So if we let go of the debris of all the arguments and warfare, we begin to realize that we would wish that your child and my child could find a way of communion together, of an earth that will not poison either of them with its elements, its creatures, its human beings, but will let them remember and be and become of heaven on earth together. There is no stronger life than living moment to moment by this principle. Then a natural recognition comes turning to the rabbi praying or the monk praying or the imam praying or the imam's newborn daughter quietly sleeping or crying. We realize that we are all in the same direction. Then let me turn to the debris because this is where so much of our work is. How does one make the reparations to God? Well, if one is present with a concept of belief, we might begin by thinking, well, the rabbi is not equal to me, or the imam is not or the priest is not, or one of us may be one of these beings and think, well, he is certainly not equal to me, or, nor is she. They don't even call God by an adequate name. 
And then a young person gets up and walks outside and shakes his or her head, their head, and thinks, I can't listen to these names of God. And they see the evening star rising. And they turn ceremonially to a living prayer that all the people in that room arguing over the name of God might be aware enough to be with the evening star. And that young person is aligned with this place making reparations to God beyond all the names of past argument. They might be respectful of those names. They might be not respectful of those names because they're so upset at all the debris. And yet something innocent and questing in them is faithfully following the direction set in the stars by ancestors from all over the world. So when we look back to making reparations <clears throat> to God for ourselves, we are making them for everyone. And when we turn back to think, well, what part of the slave owner am I? What part of the slave? What part of the slave trader? This is quite real. The challenge in the argument becomes one where no matter how much we process the translation point, and this is where much of modern humanity is argumentatively caught right now. We tend to say, my emotions, my thoughts, my personality, my work, I, you know, that person just doesn't understand. They, they, it's not going to be all right until they make it better with my great-grandmother. And then if I brought everyone from your great-grandmother's tribe, no matter what continent she's from, what composition of tribes, what diseases she had, what resources she lacked or owned. Someone would turn and say, well, you know, I never liked the green dress she wore. Well, I always liked the one tribe her great-grandfather was from, but not the tribe of that one cousin distant who married somebody from the wrong tribe. And the nature of the person not being willing to awaken into the heavens would define saying, I'm not going to repatriate myself to God, and I'm not going to open myself up between heaven and earth until I'm greater than that great-grandmother of yours. I'm going to pick at her and pick at everything around me until I'm the only one here. It's like we declare war through our processing. The mystical signature begins where processing ends. May your great-grandmother and yours and yours and all of ours be repatriated back into the heavens, everywhere upon this earth. Then equality opens up where the translation point becomes now. It's important that we then face ceremonially some gesture on behalf of all beings, including ourselves, that the living gesture toward the next moment restores that relationship. Then every single person who's ever fallen and been the one kidnapping the baby to become the slave, or one raising a baby to sell the slave, or 
raising the baby to own and care beautifully for the slave, or raising the baby to take cruel care of the slave. Every one of those beings starts facing a doorway we are presenting to them. This way, open, allow forgiveness, repatriation back into God. Now then, where were we, heaven and earth, together, in my heart and soul, this moment into the next moment? If we strengthen this with ceremony through gestures, some people love to do this with candles or uh, stones placed out on a kind of altar or planting a tree or attending a ceremony at a church, a synagogue, a mosque, a temple. There becomes a quality that we are dedicating a segment of life as living practice of that ceremonial addressing toward the virtuous. Oftentimes it's very helpful to offer something. Here I've placed fruit. If we go into a Buddhist or Hindu temple or home, often there is a tray with fruit, fresh flowers placed, a meal taken afterward as blessed food. We are cycling the ceremony into the heavens and back into our family and congregation and community. And then we apply that ceremonial world back into our everyday life. It's very important that you extend this into the debris. The debris is all of the karmic residue left. Well, I'm always going to hate people from that tribe, you know, because of what they did to my ancestors. Or I don't know why I'm so afflicted by that group. Whenever I hear that language, it's so frightening to me. Maybe affecting parts of us we don't even genetically know exist in us. What happens when the debris arises is it's like dust, like a huge dust storm. When this occurs in oneself, realize, oh, this is my homework. How do I turn within, in my heart and soul, my breath into the next breath and moment, so that heaven answers me because I am entrusting that impeccability spoken of by Don Juan. Oh, if a man, a woman, a person is impeccable, no matter what he has in his life, no one can take it from him. If a man, a woman, a person loses his or her impeccability, their impeccability, no matter what they have in life, it really doesn't mean anything. Last, in this space that we are allowing, beyond the wonder or the awe and the response that is the home of the ecstatic mystic, is the quality that that answers us through all beings and all of creation. And that relationship is always the path. <laughs>